This is the Italian Citizenship Podcast, hosted by Marco Permonian and Rafael Di Furia. Hello there and welcome to another edition of the Italian Citizenship Podcast presented by ItalianCitizenshipAssistance.com. Of course, we are back here again today with Italian attorney Marco Permunian. How you doing, man? Good, how are you? Doing great, thanks. And thanks for coming back to make yourself available to talk a little bit more about the Italian citizenship process. Today, we wanted to focus a little bit on the process uh, in a little bit more of a practical sense about where you can actually go, what you can do. And we're really going to focus on uh, the United States in this situation. And for people who are applying in the United States, for people who are doing anything with the Italian government, focused on this part of the world. We will touch on other topics that have generally to do with the Italian consulates around the world, but just the easiest place, the most simple direct question is how many consulates are in the U.S. and why are there so many? There are currently nine Italian consulates in the U.S. plus the embassy, which also works as an Italian consulate. There is a part of the embassy that is actually an Italian consulate. The Italian government and specifically the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, decided that there were to be 10 Italian consulates in the U.S. to cover uh, the whole country, even if there have been talks in the past about implementing more consulates, uh, adding consulates to the list. Because particularly regarding some specific subject, we could say that the number of consulates is at the moment probably not really sufficient to mm-hmm. cover all of the needs of the population that resides within their jurisdiction. And so with there being 50 states and 10 consulates or nine plus the, the, uh, the, the embassy, uh, it, it seems clear that there's not full coverage for every state. So I'm assuming that means that uh, some of the consulates may actually cover multiple states, not just one. Exactly. Some consulates do cover multiple states. Some states are divided between the jurisdiction of two different consulates. For example, uh, the state of New Jersey. Mm. Half of the state of New Jersey, the northern part, is within the jurisdiction of the uh, New York City consulate, whereas the southern part of New Jersey is covered by the Philadelphia consulate. There's, there are also instances where there are two consulates in one state. Uh, oh, like California. Exactly. So the state of California uh, has two Italian consulates, one in San Francisco and one in Los Angeles. Interesting. And so how is it that a person would figure out what consular jurisdiction do they live in? It sounds like if you're in Jersey that it could be a little bit confusing that maybe you just cross a county line and all of a sudden you have to go to a completely different state. Exactly. So it depends on the county you're living in and to understand which consulate you have to go to because we have to remind people here that they can only really use the consulate that has jurisdiction over the area where they're residing, the county or the state. They can find a list of consulates on the website of the Italian Embassy in Washington, D.C. So if they go on that website, there is a very clear and detailed list of all the Italian consulates with all the contact information and the specific states or counties 
that they cover. That list is also on our website, italiancitizenshipassistance.com. There is a page dedicated to the single specific jurisdictions and all the contact information for the different consulates are there. And of course, you know, when people contact us, one of the first questions that we asked is, where are you located? So we can understand where the person has to go in terms of filing a citizenship application or uh, rather applying for an Italian passport. Interesting. So it's not like, say, you technically reside in California, let's say to make things easy, um, San Francisco, but you happen to be in Miami for work. What would be the situation in that case? Do you have to use California because that's technically where you're a tax resident or because you're in Miami for a while? Could you just take care of things there? There are people uh, that are in other parts of the country for work, as you just mentioned, or there are even people that have multiple homes, people that have have more than one house. Um, In those situations, we always try to understand where the person uh, can be considered a resident from a formal standpoint. Mm -hmm. What the consulate normally wants to see to determine if they can Uh, assist you is your state ID or driver's license. So Uh if you have a state ID or a driver's license issued in a specific state, you will have to use the consulate of that specific state. And they normally also want more uh, proof of residency within the consular jurisdiction. They also want, for example, uh, utility bills or phone bills or bank statements to prove 100% that you are a resident within uh, the consular jurisdiction. And that's because uh, there are a lot of people, especially in the US, but also in other countries, that are in need of using the consular services, particularly the um, services offered by the, the citizenship office. So the consulate kind of wants to make sure that they're serving the right person, that that person doesn't have to apply somewhere else. So it's very important that you do understand which consulate you have to use, because if you don't, you may end up uh, using a consulate that is not the right one. Just realize at the end of the process, maybe you have to wait uh, several months for your appointment with the consulate, just to realize that you were using the wrong one and they just tell you. they can't serve you. Exactly. Interesting. So what would happen in that type of situation? Would it be normal that they would check where your residency is before the appointment? Or is that something that they would see at the appointment that, oh, hey, you came to the wrong consulate. Sorry, you're out of luck. How does that work? Well, in most cases, I want to say they realize, unfortunately, at the time of the appointment, so you show up there, and they tell you, hey, this is the wrong one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's possible that they realize uh, beforehand, for example, if you have exchanged um, some written communications, some emails with the consulate uh, during which it came up where you reside. So maybe, hopefully, somebody realized and told you in advance, but otherwise, it's, it's possible and likely that uh, everybody will only realize um, both the consulate and the person who is going to the appointment uh, that that that's the wrong consulate Mm -hmm. at the time of the appointment in which case unfortunately they will likely tell you to just book an appointment at another italian consulate and as we all know the wait time for an appointment for specific consular services can be very long 
Interesting, but I guess maybe it's worthwhile taking it a step back for a second and quickly just talking about how to even make the appointment just to begin with. How, how do you go about doing that? It depends on the service that you're needing. For some services, there is not even the need to book an appointment. Uh, you can provide the documentation that the consulate requires by mail. But for most services, an appointment is actually needed. For example, if you have to visit the citizenship office or the visa office mm-hmm. or the passport office, and how do you go about booking an appointment? Well, there is normally an online booking system uh, where you create an account where you enter all your personal information like your address, your telephone number, your ID number, and then you can use the calendar that they have to select a date if it's available. So it's normally green if it's available or red if it's taken. And you select it and at that point your appointment is booked. You receive an email and you just have to wait for your appointment. And just make sure that you show up at the appointment by yourself because normally since you're technically speaking entering a foreign territory you can't go with somebody else who is not uh, say part of the same application process someone who's technically not authorized to be there exactly so you can't show up with a friend or in some cases even with a spouse Mm -hmm. um, somebody who is not supposed to be there Um, so they're very strict there is normally a person in the lobby who lets people in, but just the people who have an appointment and they have to show the appointment confirmation. Interesting, so to, to confirm the appointment, do you have to do anything ahead of time or is just making the appointment enough? It's not, normally depending on the service, you also have to confirm your appointment uh, some days before the appointment. For example, for the citizenship office, normally a confirmation is required between uh, 10 and three days before your appointment and if you don't confirm the appointment the appointment is gone so it's very important that you remember to do that of course normally they send you a reminder via email um, reminding you that the appointment needs to be booked otherwise it will be cancelled but you have to pay a lot of attention especially when you have been waiting for a long time for that appointment and of course the consulate does that to ensure that you still have interest in attending the appointment not all the consulates do that some of them require a confirmation the booking system is constantly changing and evolving so Mm -hmm. be sure to check out uh, the website of the consulate to make sure how exactly you have to book your appointment normally all the information is there or be sure to ask us or read our website there's plenty of information there um because the booking systems for the different consulates and for the different services are different from each other and can change over time. And I guess just a, a, a very practical question about this, is are, are the booking systems, are they in English or are they in Italian or both languages? They are normally in both languages. And I'm glad you brought this up because one other thing that I wanted to clarify is that there is no central booking system for mm-hmm. all the Italian consulates. Normally each consulate as their own booking system, even if it's, they're similar to each other, they're very similar um, visually and also in terms of how you use them, but each consulate has their own booking system. So make sure you're in the right website uh, when you book the appointment. Uh, for example, if you need an appointment for the Chicago consulate, make sure that you are 
in the website on the website uh, to book appointments for the Chicago consulate. Makes sense. <laughs> Very much makes sense. I think it's sometimes those simplest things that uh, that we can have a tendency to forget, especially when we have so much going on, and especially something as big as this. If you've never seen anything like this before, then you don't know everything to expect. And sometimes the things that seem complicated are the easiest ones, or the things that seem easy are the most complicated. Uh, but I guess also just one other question: We've talked about how you have the appointment system. Can you just show up there? Is it like an office that's open that you can go to to ask questions? Or, or how does this work? I mean, you did just say, though, that you have to have an appointment. But is there any leniency if you need to go there for some other reason? Normally, no. So especially lately, um, but even before uh, the pandemic, uh, they were very strict in terms of who can enter the consulate which normally meant only the people who have an appointment. So if you don't have an appointment, normally you can, yes, you can call them, you can email them, but as far as showing up there, requesting to speak to somebody, if you don't have an appointment, that, in my opinion, is and was never possible. Mm. But I guess also just something that's not so important, but that probably people are wondering about and curious about what to expect. Some people are very, like myself, <laughs> wondering what is it like on the inside? What happens there? I mean, I know I've been through this before, but uh, from what you've seen uh, from your own experience and what you've heard from your clients, what should somebody expect when they're going to the consulates? Will you be going up to a window? Will you be going and sitting at a desk with somebody? How does that look? Well, it very much depends on the consulate. In my opinion, there will be some situations where you can expect a desk in an office where you can sit and talk directly to the person. Maybe other situations where you can talk to uh, somebody through a window or maybe there are a series of windows uh, altogether, especially the visa office. I believe mm -hmm. it's uh, structured that way. But ultimately, it does depend on the specific consulate and maybe the area of the world what you're living in. Mm, no, that definitely makes sense. I mean, the consulate that I was uh, doing my process through in the end uh, that actually finished my process, um, they had a bank of windows in there and you would go and sit up and uh, there was some privacy kind of little dividers in between. Not that it was so private. You could very clearly hear the next conversation to you. And I think uh, one more thing, even though we were focusing a little bit more on the states and I know that we have a list of the consulates and jurisdictions uh, that we want to get to later on in the episode, but something that I think is worth quickly touching on, even though you kind of did answer this earlier, is what is the situation for, say, an American who doesn't reside in America or is traveling outside of America? Can they go to just some consulate wherever they happen to be for the services that they are needing? Or do they really need to do it back in their home country? Only people who reside permanently or long-term in a foreign country can use an Italian consulate in that country. Otherwise, people who are just visitors or traveling for work in a foreign country, they can't really, really apply for citizenship or use the consular services of an Italian consulate in that country where they're traveling. But how does the consulate determine if you are a long-term or a permanent resident in that country, uh, they normally check 
your visa. So right. if you are, if you have a visa, a long-term visa for that specific country, for example, if you're an American who has a long-term visa for Australia, then you can use the Italian consulate in Australia because that's where you're living long-term. I know I can say with my personal situation, uh, because I did mine outside of the U.S., uh, that the when they looked at my visa, the main thing that they were looking at was that I think they wanted it to be at least at least two years from that date. They wanted to make sure that the expiry date, um, or they said, look, if you don't have it, and this would be like very rare, I wouldn't say that somebody should rely on it, but if you at least have the ability to renew your visa, say if you only have it one year at a time, um, but this is going to depend probably on the clerk more than uh, just as a overall uh, rule, but they wanna make sure that you have the ability to remain in that country, to be there so that you can actually go there and sign the papers or if anything comes up that you can actually go through the process there rather than they get through most of it and they're like, oh wait, hold on, we need another document or we need something from you. Can you come down to the office for a while? And you happen to be on the other side of the world. That could be a little tricky. Exactly. And uh, maybe one more point that is worthwhile clarifying is that not only uh, there are jurisdictions, consular jurisdictions, in the U.S., but in most countries mm -hmm. where there are multiple consulates, uh, Italian consulates, there is uh, a um, where there is a network of consulates. There are jurisdictions, so a specific consulate only serves a uh, limited number of uh, people who live within the jurisdiction. Uh, for example, uh, it's like that in France, uh, where there are multiple consulates, mm -hmm. or in the U.K or uh, in Australia, uh, in the countries that are big enough to host more than one Italian consulate, there will be jurisdictions that are very important to determine which consulate you can really use, which services you can use at which specific consulate. Interesting. And you know what? I think there's one question here that I have received a lot and I've also seen a lot online. There's uh, For people who are maybe a little bit more seasoned and a little bit more familiar with how these things work, um, they might be a little surprised by this question, but there are a lot of people who wonder, are there Italian consulates in Italy? How does it work when you're in Italy? Do you go to a consulate in Italy or what happens? I mean, like I said, this may seem like a very uh, simple question that doesn't really make sense to some people who have a better idea, but the question is out there. It's a very important question. I do get that question. Um Sometimes. And no, there are no Italian consulates in Italy. Consulates are only abroad. Um, so in Italy, you don't find any Italian consulate. So if you have to do something that would have been done by the consulate if you were residing abroad, there will be another office in Italy. Uh, it could be like a, an office in the town where you're residing in Italy or in the province. Mm -hmm. It depends on the kind of service that you are uh, in, in need of. But there will be a specific office in Italy in the Italian public administration which will take care of that specific service that you need. So sometimes, I mean, I think it's, it's interesting though that some of the services that you might get might be centralized at a consulate, whereas in here in Italy, you might have to go to the tax office or to the, the, the city hall or to the police, depending on what it is exactly that you're needing to accomplish. So if you're, I mean, <laughs> strangely enough, if you're outside of Italy, it's almost a little bit easier to get everything at a one-stop shop, whereas here, 
if you need the, the codice fiscale, you have to go to the tax office. If you need to take care of your residence, you go to the to the uh, town hall and for citizenship town hall. But then for residency, that's done through the town hall and the police kind of. Uh, what I, I think it also depends. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong here. It, it depends on where you are as well. That's absolutely true. And another example that I could make is if you reside abroad, you can apply for your Italian passport through the Italian consulate. Mm -hmm. But if you reside in Italy, you can't really apply in your town. You have to go to another office, which is in most cases located in another town because you have to go to the provincial office uh, that covers your town to apply for the passport. Yeah, no, that's a fantastic point of one of these other services that gets divided up between the separate offices. And I think one last thing, just to end off this episode, it's gonna be a lot of information. So of course, if you're listening in, listen very carefully. Um, I think it is worthwhile just to run over the list of consular jurisdictions and uh, what states they cover and so on because it's uh, it's a lot of information that is worthwhile checking. Of course, check out italiancitizenshipassistance.com for their list, but to quickly go over this, the Boston Consulate covers Maine, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, Vermont. The Chicago Consulate covers Colorado, Illinois, Iowa, Kansas, Minnesota, Missouri, Nebraska, North Dakota, South Dakota, Wisconsin, and Wyoming. Detroit, they cover Indiana, Kentucky, Michigan, Ohio, and Tennessee. And Philadelphia, this is one of the places that gets a little bit divided again. Uh, Pennsylvania, Delaware, North Carolina, West Virginia, New Jersey, but only in the following counties. Uh, The Atlantic, Burlington, Camden, Cape May, Cumberland, Gloucester, Ocean and Salem, and the remaining counties are under the Consular General of New York. And then also Virginia, other than the counties of Arlington and Fairfax, which are under the jurisdiction of the embassy. Then moving on to Houston, you have Arkansas, Louisiana, Oklahoma, and Texas. Los Angeles covers Los Angeles, Arizona, California, uh, from Imperial Valley, Kern, Los Angeles, Orange County, Riverside, Santa Barbara, San Bernardino, San Diego, San Luis Obispo, Ventura, New Mexico, and as well as Nevada. And then when we get to the Miami Consulate, this covers Alabama, the British Virgin Islands, the Cayman Islands, Florida, Georgia, Island of Saba, Mississippi, Puerto Rico, St. Martin, St. Eustatius, <laughs> I hope I'm saying that one right, South Carolina, Turks and Caicos, U.S. Virgin Islands, Jamaica, and the Commonwealth of the Bahamas. The New York Consulate covers New York, Connecticut, New Jersey in the following counties, Bergen, Essex, Hudson, Hunterton, Mercer, Middlesex, Monmouth, Morris, Passaic, Somerset, Sussex, Union, and Warren, as well as the British territories of the Bermuda Islands. Now, the San Francisco consulate covers Alaska, California, except for the following counties of Imperial Valley, Kern, Los Angeles, Orange, Riverside, San Diego, Santa Barbara, San Bernardino, San Luis Obispo, and Ventura, which fall under the jurisdiction of the LA consulate. But you also have in the uh, San Francisco jurisdiction, Idaho, Montana, Oregon, Utah, Washington, Hawaii, and also Guam, Northern uh, Mariana Islands, Samoa, 
Wake Islands, Midway Islands, and Johnston Atoll. And the Washington uh, consular office and embassy covers the District of Columbia, Maryland, but only Montgomery and Price, jo- uh, Prince George counties, Virginia, but only Arlington and Fairfax counties, and the cities of Alexandria, Falls Church, and Fairfax, and all other counties in Maryland and Virginia fall under the jurisdiction of the Consulate General of Italy in Philadelphia. So. It's a lot of information I realized, but I thought it might be worth just quickly going over. And again, I highly recommend going to the Italian Citizenship Assistance website where you can also find this list. But for the time being, Marco, of course, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Italian Citizenship Podcast. And if people are interested in learning more about how you can help them and work with them along with your team, uh, how can they get in contact with you? People can contact us through our website. There's our phone number, email address, and they can also send us a message through the contact form on the website. Well, that's absolutely fantastic. And of course, if you're interested in more information like this about Italian citizenship, be sure that you are subscribed to this YouTube channel. Or if you're listening to this as an audio only podcast, be sure that you're subscribed or following on your favorite podcasting platform of choice. Also, if you're interested in Italian real estate, be sure that you're also following or subscribe to the Italian real estate podcast. And if you're on YouTube, if you're subscribed to this podcast, you're all good to go. Of course, also, if you're interested in more content about life in Italy, living in Italy, living in Italy as an Italian dual citizen expat, be sure to come over to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Rafael Di Furia, which you can also find as an audio only podcast through Not Your Average Globetrotter. Of course, thank you all so very much for joining us again for another episode of the Italian Citizenship Podcast. We have been here with Italian attorney Marco Permunian, and I'm Rafael Di Furia. Stay safe and healthy out there, and we'll see you all next time. Later. Thank you. Thank you.